Well, let's get into scripture, and I'm, I'm going to kind of connect two passages that I've never connected together ever in my life, and I'm frustrated that I haven't, but I want us to do it today, and it kind of makes me excited. So let's turn to Matthew 9, and I'm going to read it to you. And it says this, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came on, uh, or came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier um, to say that the Son of Man um, has ability to forgive sins or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now, this story, um, usually I've just talked about on its own because Matthew doesn't give a few, I think, very crazy details to the story. The story is also in Luke. Does anyone know the like, weird, ridiculous detail that happens for this specific story? I mean, it's interesting enough, right? Like this, this paralytic guy that has these close friends that are like, you know what? We should take you to Jesus. Let's pick up your bed and just take you bed and all to Jesus, right? But what happens in the story that's not in this telling? Anyone know? You're giggling. You can say it. You may know too. Yeah, right? Jesus is actually teaching in this house. We find it in the Luke story. Jesus is teaching in a house, and there's a big crowd there, right? It's probably not a massive house. Even if it is, there's a big enough crowd, they can't get in. So the buddies are like, I have an idea. Let's take our buddy's bed and try to get through the crowd. And they can't make it. And then they think, we have another idea. Let's get ladders, somehow get him to the roof, and let's just cut a hole in the roof and lower him in. Jesus will surely be like, that's cool and normal. Let's just heal him. The owner of the home surely won't be mad because it messes up the building envelope and you'll never be able to weatherproof it again ever. No chance in the world, I promise. There's no chance. They have to redo the whole roof. There's no chance. You know, there's no, there's no way. It's over, right? Leaks forever. <laughs> but they love this buddy, and they take him, they cut a hole in the roof, they lower him in, Jesus sees it. And, and what I want us to get at real quick before we go to the next story, because it's important to connect the two stories, and again, I never have. But why does Jesus heal the man? We've talked about it before. Why does Jesus heal the man? Because of what? He sees whose faith? Uh, I would say, and, and his right? Their faith. The group's faith heals the one man. Right? The Luke passage is interesting. Um, because it says, I think it says the same. I'm going to read it. And hold some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, finding no way in, because the crowd, they go up to the roof, let him down with his bed through the roof. When he saw their faith, he said, man, you are forgiven, right? 
So maybe this man is part of they. Most scholars would debate and stress over this, right? A lot of commentaries would be like, is it the man and the people? Is the people, Jacob interpreted it as the man and the buddies, right? Some scholars would be like, no, it's just the buddies. Really, it's inconsequential because the buddies are involved directly. Their faith is directly involved with Jesus' power healing a man. But what else? What else does he heal in the man? There's a bigger deal here that happens. What else does Jesus heal? Jesus heals the man's sins. What does he say first? He doesn't say, oh, let's get up. Look what you guys did. You're amazing. He, he speaks directly to this person and says, your sins are forgiven because of a group faith, which to us is so crazy, right? To us, that is so interesting. And we have to like do you know, theological gymnastics to figure out how that could be because we're so individualistic and we invite Jesus into our own heart and we, we do all of these things and our faith is our own and we can make it happen for ourselves and if we only have faith, whatever. And Jesus says, no, 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 because of a group of people, whether the man is involved or not, whether the man is involved or not, a group of people lead to someone's sins being forgiven. For his entire past, whatever happened to it. By his own doing or not, his personality built by parents or mistakes or his own shortcomings or his own just wanting to do wrong at sometimes like we all do or his wanting to do right and falling short, all of it forgiven because of a group's faith that a person could do it. And then Pharisees think that's ridiculous and they say, how dare he? But in their heads, right, as we all would do, we're, oh, that's wonderful, interesting, interesting teaching, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 I know what you're thinking here, that I shouldn't do that, but how about this? How about to show you that I can do that? Why don't you pick up your bed and just leave with your buddies? And so this person picks up his bed and leaves with his buddies. It's amazing. It's an amazing story, and we can talk all about it and talk all about our friendships and what they do and our group faith and all these things, but if we leave this story separate from the next one, I I have been so convicted this week that it's just such a disservice. So let's read the next part of the story as well. Um. I'll read verse 7. And he rose and went home, and when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Not a man, but to men. Interesting there too. You know, not one. But to the group of people that brought, the, 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 like mankind as a whole, that brought the person there, they couldn't believe such authority was given to join God's power to heal, right? Beautiful. And Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and many sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who have no need for a physician, um, those are, well, sorry, those who are well, have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have come to call the right, not the righteous, 
but in fact sinners. And so this story is very different from the outskirts of the story. Jesus goes and sees a tax collector. What, what would someone, what, why is a tax collector bad? Why are they a sinner to that community? What, what is involved with tax collecting of that day? Who were the tax collectors? Right. They were, they were seen as traitors. What, what else do you say after when I interrupted? Yeah. So, so what they would do, is, that's very true. Great, great explanation. So they were Jewish people that during the oppression from the Roman oppressors would work for the Roman oppressor, helping them oppress their neighbors. Okay? And then they would also capitalize on this and take some off the top of whatever they were taxing. Say, this is going to be, please don't ever look this up historically, this is going to be a terrible example. But like, if, <laughs> if, we're, if we're all going to a soccer game, and a ticket is $50, I don't know. I have no idea about any of these things. Please help me, maybe. So you're going, and it's $50, but you have to go exchange your money with a tax collector that's there. You don't get to pay a Roman person. You have to pay a Jewish person who pays a Roman person. They say, oh, lucky you. The ticket is $60. Awesome. And you're like, wait, I thought I saw online it was $50. And they're like, no, it's $60. And they just take the other 10 and then get paid also by the Romans to just oppress you and anger you. It's, it's just a subjecting position. And the Romans knew that too. The Romans only used, or they tried to only use local Jewish folks to collect taxes for the Roman government from the Jewish people, okay? So it was, it was just this extra terrible deal, right? So everyone in that culture hated tax collectors. They were just the worst, right? So then Jesus walks up to one when either they're going to pay taxes to go somewhere, so he's going to be actively oppressed possibly, or he's looking at people being actively oppressed, and does he go to this person and say, how dare you, and make a whip of cords and drive him out of that place? No, right? Now that's happened before. The church oppresses people and does the same wicked thing, and Jesus sits there, stewing, making a whip, like making it personally, and then is so frightening when he overturns their tables that they all leave when he says, get out of here. He doesn't do that to the tax collector. Instead, he says, you need to be one with me. You need to have my dust on your cloak. You need to walk with me. You need to be with me and see what I'm going to do in the world. Follow me. You are just who I've always been looking for. And everyone goes nuts. <laughs> and in fact, he does more. He goes to his house, and he's like, let's just throw a party. Invite all your people. So who does a tax collector know? Who are the tax collector's friends? It's not other Jewish people in the market, because they hate him. It's probably other tax collectors. It's the prostitutes of the town. It's the most sinful outcast people. And, and this is important for us to know. And this is a distinction we have to make if we're going to be fair. It's not just the outcast. It's the people preying on the outcast. That's important. It's not just the down and out or the poor. It's the people preying on the poor. We, our church, I think, would at least give lip service. I don't know how much 
We, we would actually help and love the poor, but we would give lip service and say that we should. We rarely, rarely have any amount of grace or mercy for the ones taking advantage of the poor. And Jesus went to the one taking advantage of the poor, and he said, you are who I'm looking for. Let's just have your life completely transformed by interacting with me and partying with me and having dinners at your house with me invited. And that should make us concerned. That's not, I, I, I know I'll be very well, and you're all so lovely. That is rarely who we would give lip service to liking at all. We love to heap it on that person. We do. Oftentimes for good reason. Jesus oftentimes in other places does heap it on the one oppressing the poor. And I, I get it. But there's other times when Jesus goes to the party. And, and here's why I think it's so important that these stories are read at the same time. Because in the first story, we don't know what this paralytic has done, and we don't care, do we? When Jesus says his sins are forgiven, do we try to imagine the worst sins ever being done by the man? No, I don't. I'm like, oh, he's probably very deserving. He has righteous friends that love him. He's probably really great and has just fallen upon hard times, right? I don't know his past. We don't know this man. We just trust he's good enough for grace. Group grace, even. What about Matthew at the booth? Who advocates for Matthew? Who gathers his things and takes him to Jesus? Nobody. No one did. No one thought, you know what? That man is paralyzed deep down. His spirit is not able to walk to Jesus. We have to take him there. No one. <laughs> and so, do you know what Jesus did for that man? That had no one to group bring him to Jesus? He went and stood at his most wicked place. He went to the booth where he was actively oppressing those Jesus was walking to the booth with, and he said, follow me. Change everything. Let's live differently. And if we... If, here's the thing about that, is that I, I feel like I'm just the same. I feel like hopefully, and it's probably mostly lip service to be real honest with you, hopefully I'm looking for that buddy that's really good, that's so close, right, that would, would fall in love with the things of God or the things of our church that we think the kingdom of heaven really is. Like the kingdom of heaven being at hand, I, I look for those friends, I'm like, oh, let's, let's just bring them, let's do this. Let me be a blessing to them, right? But the active oppressor, the most wicked in my culture, I'm like, you're on your own. I hope Jesus comes to find you at night because I can't stomach you. And Jesus went to their house and partied with them. And, and we can think to ourselves all the time, that's the kind of parties we throw. We don't. We don't. None of us have thrown a party like that one. We may think we throw a party for just because, because Lily and I, hopefully at the end of this month, we're going we're gonna to throw a party at our house for folks that aren't at, at our church friend people. And we're going to try to connect a bunch of 
different groups and try to do this thing. That's great and, and wonderful. All of those people are wonderful, nice people that are acceptable at any gathering. It is not this party. It's not. And I wonder just who goes to the tax collector booth. Jesus says, we are his hands and feet. Go take me to the world. Go take the kingdom of heaven and trust that it is absolutely so powerful and so ridiculous and so transformative that you believe, that you believe blessing could even be given to the tax collector. And we say, they better find it on their own. That's what we say. But what if, by chance, there was a group of people, a group of four friends, maybe, (laughs) that picked up the proverbial bed of that person who could never walk to Jesus on their own and chose to bless them, bless them, and bless them. And maybe, by our faith, maybe rubbing off on this person, maybe spilling over from our mouths and our hands and our feet to this person, made them come to Jesus, and Jesus said, you know what, why don't you just get up and walk? Why don't you too, as Austin Evers has had happen, have your sins forgiven? What about that? What if we really thought the gospel was that outrageous? We think it's outrageous enough to fit into this wonderful culture that we're trying to be a part of and that we're trying to create. This like a little bit radical progressive-ish culture, but not too much because that's crazy. You know, we still got to have people come here or whatever else, you know. What, what, but what if we believed that? What if we believed Jesus' inner circle should be filled with the tax collector, with the active oppressor? the real cheater, the one who made poor people poorer, what if they weren't outside of God's grace? What if God's mercy was just for them? And I, I don't know how to do that, though. <laughs> how do I, how do I ma- make friends with an oppressor? <laughs> like, what do you... What do you do with that? And I haven't thought it all the way through. I'm still just caught by the idea this week, to be honest. I'm still just surprised that a tax collector was worse than I thought somehow, and I've talked about him a million times with us. We've read that story, I think, three other times and talked about it. But if anything, hopefully we know that God's grace, Jesus' person, And the mercy that he gave, the kingdom of heaven, in fact, was such a wide open, narrow door. (laughs) The table was actually so long and welcoming that even the oppressor was welcome at it. Maybe we start thinking about who we choose to give blessing to and who we just automatically choose to curse. Right? The Abraham story, we're blessed to be a blessing, but those who curse also will be cursed. And I think we've chosen very quickly who should be cursed and who should be blessed. When Jesus said, blessing, blessing, blessing. So I want us to think about that. I want us to have communion in that thought.
And I want us, as we take bread and we take this cup, these bread a cup, as we take it, I want us to realize that if we're saying we're one with Jesus really, we need to be all the way one with Jesus in that. And we need to accept that that may anger us and create tension within us and make us frustrated and leave us in disbelief, all the things. But if we're really going to take bread and we're going to dip it in the cup and we're going to say, yes, until you come, yes. And that's who we need to be. And so I want to pray for you. Um, Bane's going to come. We're going to play two songs and do communion like we always do. That's what I want in our heads as we do it.